Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories and information about the weather and climate and how they interact with our everyday lives. I'm your host, AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore, and while I took the week off for my regular radio duties here at AccuWeather, I am very happy to be able to welcome you to this week's second episode in our fall series for Everything Under the Sun, and it is a special episode at that. In our first Rays of Focus segment, I welcome in AccuWeather founder and CEO, Dr. Joel Myers, who has some perspective on what has been a tremendously busy summer weather season, a look at our path back to Big Ten college football, something we both love, and what he believes will help you keep better equipped and prepared to prevent COVID in your household, and how to prepare for that by using the AccuWeather.com forecast. Then we'll visit with AccuWeather senior meteorologist Brian Thompson about the continued chilly weather from the Northeast and Great Lakes, and more concern about fire danger in the western states for this upcoming weekend and into the next week. Friends, settle in. It's time to talk about everything under the sun. With our global headquarters located in State College, Pennsylvania, you can imagine in the AccuWeather offices there is a tremendous amount of love for, well, college football in general, but specifically for the Penn State Nittany Lions. I've been blessed to be on this Penn State campus for the last 36 falls, and over that time, my role in Penn State football has grown as I will celebrate my 21st year as the voice of Beaver Stadium in about four weeks if everything goes to plan. As lofty as those numbers sound, I can tell you that there are a few who have me beat on the number of years they've been around Penn State football in our company. With our company's visionary leader, AccuWeather founder and CEO Dr. Joel Myers, certainly leading the pack with over six decades of autumns in Happy Valley. As I've said in the past, it is one of the very fortunate aspects of life to be able to find a way to work with not one, but two things in life that you love. And for me, certainly it's the weather and Penn State football. And you'll hear that Joel's actually been able to be doing that even longer than I have. Also coming up in our conversation, we'll talk again about the importance of knowing and controlling relative humidity in your house or apartment or your living space as we move into the heating season here in the Northern Hemisphere and the United States. And I'll get some of his thoughts on what was a busy summer weather-wise as well. It's time to welcome into Everything Under the Sun, Dr. Joel Myers. All right, Joel, it's great to talk to you here um, as we turn the calendar to October and get into the heart of the fall season. And folks, especially in the Great Lakes and Northeast, certainly have been feeling that over the last few days with some of this chilly air finally pushing in. I did want to take a few moments and get your thoughts as someone who's been analyzing and forecasting and learning from and about the weather for decades. I wanted to get your perspective on what has certainly been a summer of extreme weather events across uh, the United States, including the extraordinary 
extraordinarily devastating and damaging wildfires that we've seen in the Western United States, fueled by record heat and excessive drought. We've also had parts of the interior Northeast in New England seeing a very dry summer. Their fire risk is going to continue now as we turn into the windier fall season. And certainly, last but not least, an Atlantic Basin hurricane season that has uh, certainly set records, seen us run out of storm names for just the second time and has already created tremendous damage and pain for millions along the Gulf and Atlantic coast this season. It's been a quite a summer. Um, you know, you've been looking at this even longer than I have. Uh, it, it's, it's been pretty dramatic, some of the things that have happened weather-wise over this past summer. Well, I agree with you. Uh, and of course, uh, I've been proud of our team. We've been uh, ahead of other forecasters in almost every situation and providing people that use the AccuWeather forecast with more accurate, more valuable information. And that's what we're all about. There certainly is more press and more focus on uh, weather conditions and and, uh, extremes than ever before. And so we do have to keep that in perspective. Certainly, it has been a very active hurricane season, as we predicted it would be long before the hurricane season began. We do have to keep in mind that uh, while we've run out of names, uh, storms are named uh, under a different criteria than they were even 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, that's been a topic uh, of, of conversation. Are, are we naming storms that wouldn't have been named years ago? So have we changed the rules in terms? And so is it a, is it a simple comparison now to the past when it, some of these extra tropical or subtropical storms that weren't getting names in the past are getting them now? No question about it. As an observer of, of storms, I wondered, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, why certain storms weren't named when they appeared to be uh, hurricanes or almost hurricanes. And, and I, I questioned some of that then. Now everything gets named. And, and of course, we also have much better satellite coverage. And so we're seeing storms in the past wouldn't have even been detected that are out over the ocean that sometimes become a barely a tropical storm, sometimes for 24 hours or less, get named and then dissipate. So uh, I think any fair observer and I'm not saying it has been a very active hurricane season, tropical storm season. It certainly has been. And for the people who were negatively affected and, you know, the horrible impacts in some places, we, we feel for the people that have suffered. But the actual number of storms, to use that as a measure, uh, I think we have to put it in perspective Still, it's been a very active hurricane and tropical storm season. One of the things that I think has marked uh, the last, uh, especially this one, is just the rapid intensification. And this is over the last several years, we're starting to see this. Not only uh, tropical systems, but areas of low pressure near the coast seem to rapidly intensify more dramatically and quicker than I remember seeing them and following this in the past. Is that something that you agree with? Well, I've seen several cycles of this. You know, I've been observing hurricanes since the 1950. What I've seen is changes in, you can call it the climate or a long-term weather patterns. Uh, but I remember um, in 1953, uh, hurricanes started coming up the East Coast more frequently. And in 1954, there was Carol, Edna, and Hazel all did damage along the East Coast. 1955, uh, additional storms, uh, Hazel. And, and so on, and, and uh, 1956. And people said, uh, oh, the patterns have changed. I remember in, in some of the news magazines and so on, and people on the East Coast are now going to be hit by hurricanes regularly. As soon as that article came out, uh, we went back to the normal pattern where, sure, occasionally storms would come up the coast, but not three or four a year would buffet the middle Atlantic states and New England. 
so you have to take a long view of the changes in these in these patterns. So there's no question that some storms have intensified very rapidly over the last 10, 15 years as they've approached the coast. And is that due to uh, climate change, uh, the warming of the oceans in certain places? Maybe. While we need to be uh, very aware of these changes, we need to follow them for a few more years to see if that's going to be a continued pattern. But it appears that there is that tendency, certainly, uh, over the last uh, 10 years or so. Yeah, and, and I think this is the thing that it's it's what we try to tell people that we there's so many things in, uh, when we're looking at a forecast, but certainly pattern, uh, multi-decadal cycles, as you're talking about, where you can have... 10 years of something and then it goes away for 10, 20 years and then comes back. You know, there's even uh, with the solar situation that we don't even understand and uh, we're coming, been coming up on a, a more solar active season in terms of the sun. So these are all things that we're continually learning about, but it was fascinating. I, I wanted to get your perspective on that and and I agree it's been a busy time and it looks like that continues into the fall. And so one other thing, Joel, I would like to talk about in the terms of the weather has been the amazing wildfire season fueled by this amazing uh, heat and drought that we've been seeing out west, uh, certainly uh, prolific numbers in terms of the fires. A combination, though, of not only just the weather, but certainly uh, calls into question things that have been going on out west in terms of uh, the way they've been foresting and stuff. And uh, th- there's all kinds of things to talk about in terms of this amazing event here this year. No question. For California in particular, it's been a devastating fire season. million acres have burned in California, according to CAL FIRE. And uh, AccuWeather has been projecting for some time now the total acres burned in California for this fire season will be 4.2 million. Uh, The old record, less than half of that, is 1.97. So we've more than double the old record. You know, it was incredible, too, to be on the East Coast and have our sky affected as it was. I mean, we haven't seen skies like that. I mean, I remember as a kid in the 70s, you know, smog issues, uh, you know, growing up outside of Philadelphia and having some days that were pretty gray that you didn't expect them to be. But, you know, lately, because of uh, increased standards, our pollution and our air quality has been better in terms of visibility. It, it was pretty incredible to see that graying of the sky from things thousands of miles away. You're right. I mean, you go back... It, it, in my lifetime, I've seen that happen many, many times, but not as much recently. But let's put it in perspective. California's had a devastating fire season, no question about it. But in Oregon, too, has had just over a million acres. We're projecting 1.2. But for many of the other states, it's been well below normal. You list out the individual states, and it comes you know, to under 8 million. We're projecting a total when the whole season's out of 9.3 which is not a record. The record actually is 10.1, and we've been keeping records for a few decades, 10.1, because normally there are many more fires in Colorado, Arizona, and Alaska. In 2015, for example, Alaska had 5.1 million acres burned. This year, only 0.18, one-sixth of a, of a million acres. So we've actually had one-thirtieth of the in Alaska of the record 2015. Lightning, of course, played an important role in, in triggering a number of the fires in California this year. But also to put it in perspective, back in the 30s, the 1930s, the estimate is that many years for the total out, out west, more than 30 million acres burned, which is three times or more uh, the record. Uh, of course, the record's really based on more accurate measurements over the last 
few decades. But this, again, you know, um, there's a lot of talk about how this is not just the weather situation. It is also a, a situation of forest management. And do you think that's going to be an increased conversation here over the next uh, few years uh, as uh, we continue to see the devastation here over the next several weeks? Well, it should be. I mean, it, it obviously should be. I mean, it, it's uh, they, they, they do a, apparently a much better job in, in Germany and, and in parts of Europe in managing the forest and keeping forest fires to a minimum, record loads. So I'm not an expert in this field, but the evidence seems to suggest that. Now, we do know there was a wet spring. A wet spring, of course, uh, creates a lot more growth during the dry season over the summer where there's no rain at all. It all dries out and dies, and that becomes tinder. So after a wet spring, if there was more logic to the uh, forest management, you would put extra resources uh, into uh, burning the undergrowth and so on, so it didn't turn into these terrible forest fires. But it appears that was not done. They actually got behind because of COVID in, in doing what they normally do. So it was even less than usual when it should have been more. So, but that gets into the political realm, and I don't want to get into that. I certainly understand, Joel. And, you know, one thing that uh, another place we're going to have to keep an eye on in the next couple of weeks is actually the interior parts of New England, very dry over the summer. And we're getting into that windy season with the leaves falling and everything and could have some problems there. So it's certainly something we'll keep up to date. You know, I want to switch now, Joel, to something that uh, kind of ties both of us together in terms of our relationship and the 30 some years that I've known you is, you know, I've been on this Penn State campus and involved with Penn State football for 36 years. You go a little bit farther back <laughs> to in, in <laughs> years uh, covering Penn State, a few, um, another decade or two. And, you know, when we last talked, it didn't look like we were going to play. And now we have a, a date with playing here as we get into mid to late October. Just some of your thoughts now, as you've seen the pro sports, and we just had a postponement with the Steelers and the Titans for this weekend because of uh, some positive cases on the Titans squad and in the staff. I mean, how are, are you viewing this resumption of Big Ten football? Now the Pac-12 has said they're going to try to play as well. How do you view that? And some of your thoughts on that is, are you excited about getting some college football in before the fall is over? Well, Dean, as you know, uh, Penn State football has been part of my life since I first arrived on the Penn State campus in 1958. It's been not only uh, me, but my family. You know, I've all had season tickets and I've taken my uh, kids with me to games. It's been part of the family experience, part of my experience. I've been blessed to be able to do that and root for such a successful team that, you know, has done things the right way and college students should be doing, but yet have a, an attitude of, of uh, and competitiveness to win and be successful. It's been a great experience, and, and I've missed only six home football games since 1958, mm -hmm. and I'd like to say I had good reasons for each one. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I'm one since 1984, so I, um, I, I'm, in your, I'm, I'm close to that. But, yeah. On the longevity, but certainly percentage-wise. <laughs> yeah, a little like, bit better, okay. <laughs> You know, as you know, it's been a great experience, and, and uh, of course, it's always fun to root for a winner, but my affiliation with Penn State to getting three degrees here, being on the faculty, teaching for 21 years, and being a Penn State trustee for 33 years has helped that with the association and, and, and the loyalty and, and giving back uh, to a university and an education and mentorship that made it possible for me to be successful in life. I would never have been able to create AccuWeather and turn it into what it's been 
without uh, the terrific education and, and the uh, mentorship and so on that uh, I got from Penn State and the and the faculty and, and, and so on, Dr. Charles Hosler, my friend John Kerr and, and others. Yeah, so, I mean, it, um, it, it really, and, and I'm, not, I'm just alma mater, it, it, for you, it is, you're the embodiment of that. It is really Penn State helped shape who you are professionally, personally, and all of those things. Uh, no question about it. And then my father died when I was uh, you know, 23, and, and Charlie uh, you know, was a great mentor to me as I finished up my master's and then went on to get my PhD and taught a basic forecasting course in the meteorology department for 21 years. But, and I've also, you know, I started providing a forecast to Joe Paterno even before he was head coach. I used to go to the practices before the season started in early September. Season didn't start until about the 20th of September. Things, things and, were a little uh, bit simpler back then to get into practice and those kinds of things. Oh, it yeah, wasn't yeah. the high just security that it isn't now, right? It's just, it's a crazy uh, totally how Totally different world. Yeah. yeah, totally different world. But And so I started calling him uh, two, three years before he became head coach and gave him the forecast so we could plan. Had a little advantage over the uh, competitors on being prepared for the game. And then when he became head coach, I continued it. And, of course, now I do it with uh, James Franklin. And uh, I didn't for the first couple of years, but I met with him and, and talked about, uh, if you listen to what I tell you, he gave me a cell number, you'll never have a situation again like what happened in Michigan State. Right, um, a longer, a longer than uh, should have been a delay because of supposed lightning that didn't really happen for a long time. So well, not only sure. that, then they told the team, you know, you got a half hour, and then they said, oh, well, you, you got, you know, 12, 15 minutes to get out on the field. We'll speed it up then. But anyway, um, the fact is that that's been an opportunity uh, because I've, I think I've helped. A couple of the games uh, were close, and, and knowing the weather probably made a difference. Joe teased me forever about a situation in Maryland, and, and we can talk about that on another podcast, where he spent a sleepless night after I gave him, actually called him at midnight in a hotel before the game and, and changed the forecast, and I was wrong. Thank Thank goodness they won the game anyway. But um, the um, we've all made mistakes. Yes, that we have. Stuff. But uh, he never let me live it down. He told you know you probably heard him talk about that story. But in any case, Penn State football has been an important part of my life. So and and it not only for you personally, but as a community in terms of the business and and things about State College and 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 Central Pennsylvania. I mean, it's integral. And so at least having the season partially certainly will hopefully help uh, mitigate some of those things. But I know as a community leader, you've got to be knowing a lot of people that, uh, you know, without the, the true football, I mean, not having fans being able to tailgate and be in the stadium and those kinds of things, it's, it's still going to be problematic. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how how higher education and college athletics go forward with COVID and everything else, Joel? Well, yeah, a lot of unknowns, obviously. I mean, I'm glad they're playing. I hope, obviously, the main concern is for the safety of, of the students. Uh, they are college students, and I know the Big Ten has been uh, a leader in being concerned about that, and they still are. We're going ahead cautiously, and but at least we'll be able to watch it on television. Unfortunately, the business people who have built the businesses around serving fans in state college during the football season and so on are going to suffer this year. Hopefully, uh, there'll be great progress between this year and next fall, and things will get back to normal or close to it. We can hope. Nobody knows for sure. But at least having the games on television, I know watching 
professional football, uh, you know, again, it's uh, everybody's hungry uh, to watch real-time events. And while it's more fun being in the stands, at least being able to watch the game on television and with high-definition television today and so mm -hmm. on. It, it's almost like uh, being there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the keys to this and how successful this will be is uh, the continued safety, as you said, of the student-athletes. But in really big measure, it's going to be how continued safe our college communities are that will be supporting these teams and as well. And, you know, I know when we talked last time, we were talking about some of the situations with COVID-19 in terms of our realizations and, and, and information about how it is spreading. And I know there's been some developments over the last few weeks that you've been wanting to address. Um, I, I think one of the things, Joel, and I want to kind of go back to is if you were teaching me meteorology again, and I was sitting in your office. And, and one of the things that I think it's hard for people to understand is, you know, we hear so much about droplet size, right? In terms of when you cough or sneeze or, or have the virus. And you know, one of the things that got introduced in the last couple of weeks into the dialogue was whether this virus is spreading through aerosols, which would really change the game in terms of the way you truly would need to protect yourself, right? Well, Dean, not, not exactly. Remember, we did a okay. podcast back in April, and, and we talked about, I talked about this very thing, viral load and, and the droplets, aerosols. Okay. So maybe it's a definition of the words being used, but uh, so aerosols, whatever you have in the air, the droplets that come out of a sneeze or your mouth when you talk, uh, it's a little bit almost like a spit of all different sizes. Now, uh, when you spit or something, somebody you're close to somebody and you sometimes feel a droplet or something, that's a big one. That's only part of it. So the point is that there are droplets of all sizes from uh, significant droplets that you can feel uh, all, all the way down the spectrum to microscopic droplets. And that, this is what's important. And uh, it's not just a droplet, but a droplet is of water, but it also contains uh, some particles which are microscopic. And some of those, if somebody is infected, or the COVID itself, uh, that's where the danger is. So let me explain in more detail than we did before, but I, I we tried to convey this to people, and, and uh, I, I think we were right from the beginning, but maybe we didn't go into enough detail. And that is that the bigger the droplet, the faster they fall. Now, I know you learn in physics that uh, in a vacuum, everything falls at the same speed because of gravity, and that's true. Right. But if you drop a penny off the Empire State Building, it will not kill a person because it accelerates to a certain point and then reaches what's called terminal velocity and doesn't accelerate anymore. It continues to fall at that rate because the air resistance equals the gravitational pull and those forces are then in balance. And the same thing's true of droplets. And that's why how rain forms, the bigger droplets in a cloud fall faster than the smaller ones. And so they agglomerate and make bigger droplets still and they get big enough to be able to fall out. So, when you have all kinds of droplets in the air, the bigger ones fall out and may fall out in a matter of seconds or a minute. And that's why the six feet concept, uh, particularly when you're outside, the air is mixing up and it's moving in three dimensions. But if you're inside in a room, for example, and it's confined, the bigger droplets will fall out faster. The smaller and smaller the droplets get, the longer they take to fall out. And the tiny ones may linger in the air for many minutes, even for an hour or more. And what happens too is if they're small to begin with, 
they're in the air for a long time, the water will evaporate if it's dry. If the humidity is low, the water will evaporate, leaving the COVID to float around and be inhaled. And then if you get enough, if the load is enough, you'll come down with it. And that's how you'll catch the virus. So that's why in nursing homes, for example, with poor ventilation, where you have one or two people with the virus and other people are in the same room and exposed for a long period of time, they're going to get it. If you're outside and there's a lot of air mixing and you're six, eight feet away, you, you may get a few uh, hundreds, thousands, but not millions and you're not going to get it. That's why humidity inside is important. So now as people move inside, as you, we start heating the air because it's cold outside, as it gets cold, the humidity decreases. Right. So uh, because the amount of water vapor the air can hold is greater when the temperature is higher. So you can actually have humidities inside on a cold day of 10 or 15 or 20 percent. Relative, and, uh, relative humidity, right? Relative humidity, yes. Right. Relative humidity. I, I, I try, so to, I try to teach that a lot, the difference between relative humidity and actual humidity with dew point, but I just wanted to make sure, right, because you're talking about 10% relative humidity. So, Well, relative humidity is what uh, is always given. Uh, you know, 2% of the population knows or even follows absolute humidity. Relative humidity is what's important, and that's what uh, you know, we provide hour by hour. We also now derive indoor humidity, an estimate of what the humidity will be inside. You know, like in, in New York and State College, there's probably 15 or 20, 25 days a year, mainly in the wintertime, where the indoor humidity will be down in the 10, 15, 20% range. And those days, you're really susceptible to getting the flu, to getting your cold and catching COVID. Because when the humidity is that low, if anybody has it in the building, the Droplets will evaporate quickly, leaving the COVID to float around in the air, sometimes for hours, rather than fall out with the droplet. Is there an optimal number that we be, should be shooting for at any given time to, to use humidifiers to keep our, our house at in terms of the indoor relative humidity? What, we sh what should we be shooting for? You should always keep it above 40%, ideally around 50 That Because also when the humidity, relative humidity gets low, your membranes and your nose dry out, you become more susceptible to getting sick. Right. Um, and it reduces your resistance in a number of ways. So low humidity is really uh, makes you it's more just, susceptible to sickness of all sorts. I, I don't think people understand that as much as they, they think really high humidity can be dangerous, but it's, it's actually as equally true in terms of extremely low humidity. And you can feel it. Your skin's cracking. You know, your nose is constantly dry and itchy and it's just awful. So, But let's face it, the, the flu, normally the flu peaks in, in the winter, colds peak in the winter before the COVID showed up. And the COVID fits that same pattern. You're more susceptible. You know, you're getting, when you go outside, you know, it get cold and more extremes of temperature. But even outside, the humidity tends to be lower. But inside, it can be very low. And I believe that contributes a lot. But travel also, I mean, the, the flu, the, the normal flu in, in the Southern Hemisphere, it's now their winter. It's right. much it's lower peaks, than it's right. been in a long time. Lower probably because people are distancing because of COVID. Right. No travel between countries with people flying back and forth and spreading it that way, et cetera, et cetera. Well, also you get you, in a plane in the past, the humidity is very low. Right. And you're confined. And they've, what they've done in the planes now is increase the effectiveness of the air filter. 
But you're right. I mean, so it's easy to spread. You're in a dry environment, the plane, you're trapped in there. And so I'm sure a lot of the flu in the past was due to that and that type of thing. So in, in your mind, that's right now the best information, 40 to 50% relative humidity. You can check on AccuWeather.com as we go forward what our predicted indoor humidity for your location is at any given time. And that's a, a great tool. So you know when you have to be more vigilant with uh, the, the room humidifier, your humidifying system, make sure it's at peak performance and maybe some days when it's uh, not going to be used as much. Um, just just any other thoughts, Joel, as you, I know, you know, you get briefed in terms of some information that maybe uh, others of us don't hear or see every day in terms of where we are uh, in in this situation? I mean, we're, we're, we're girding for a second surge that they keep uh, warning us about. Um, obviously, the weather, as you just said, would dictate that that is a possibility because of just the way things are in this type of situation. Uh, just, just any other general sure. thoughts? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, uh, follow the indoor humidity on AccuWeather.com and the AccuWeather app. And be extra careful on these very dry days because you can have humidifiers, but you're not going to raise the humidity in every room probably and so on. And get extra sleep and keep yourself as healthy as possible to get through that period. Now, we do know that in 1918, there was a second wave that started in October and really peaked uh, in the middle of the winter. And it was 10 times worse than the first wave. We hope that doesn't happen. But we, we know that even in 1918, there's pictures of the New York City schools. They were having class outside. The kids sat in the schoolyard uh, learning with a teacher there in their coats, in the their grade. hats, their gloves, and their galoshes, even when it rained and snowed and it was cold and windy. So they knew 102 years ago that you were safer outside than inside there you go. and uh, did you you know the indoor humidity and the uh, confinement was not good even with the windows open some so they actually had school outside but they kept it going does that mean the kids people were more hardy then i don't know i'll leave it up to <laughs> there you go i don't know if we could pull that off today i don't think there would be uh, as much support for doing that joel well listen my friend i appreciate uh, the time today and uh Hopefully when we talk again, Penn State has a few wins under its belt and we're progressing to playing other great Penn State sports and other great uh, college athletics as we get into the to the winter and the spring. Please, uh, you and your family stay safe and well and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. You too, Dean. Be well. A pleasure as always. The weather concerns going into this weekend range from how chilly is it going to continue to be in the Great Lakes in the Northeast, and is this spate of warmth in the West going to spur more fire danger? Senior meteorologist Brian Thompson has been filling in for me on the radio this past week, and he joins us on Everything Under the Sun up next to talk about the weather for this upcoming weekend and the weekend beyond. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather, gaining knowledge on terms like what's a nor'easter. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. 
Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. I'm your host, Saki, with the meteorologist, Dean DeVore. As we continue on on the second episode of our fall series, as we say thanks to CEO and founder, Dr. Joel Myers, for spending time with us, some interesting conversations there. And as we continue on, our wrap-up segment, as always uh, here on Everything Under the Sun, is taking a look at the weather for this upcoming weekend and the week beyond as uh I mentioned early on in the podcast, I really am on vacation this week, although I'm doing a little work here on this late Thursday afternoon, early Friday morning. So I thought I'd bring in the guy uh, again who's been filling in for me this week on the radio side, AccuWeather Meteorologist Brian Thompson. Brian, I haven't really looked a lot at the models or the weather. I just uh, spent a few minutes uh, getting back into the swing of things, looking at some of the feature graphics and stuff. But, you know, when I took this week off, it was because initially we didn't think we were playing college football this fall, but that changed just a couple of weeks ago. So. <laughs> yes, it did. So, uh, you know, it's been an interesting week for me because um, I didn't really want to talk about this big change. I mean, we had come off such a nice end of the week and weekend, and I knew this big change was coming into the Northeast and the Great Lakes and many of our uh, great radio stations there that uh, you and I serve together. Uh, we've had to tell them about this big change. And I didn't really want to tell them about it. So I'm, I'm kind of glad. <laughs> so you just ducked out. and I did. I did. So you've had to be in the bearer of bad news because yes. this has been some, um, you know, it's been coming in waves, it's felt like here over this week where uh, we've had one push and we're getting another little nasty push of some colder air into the Great Lakes uh, Thursday into Friday. The probably Does that look to me like the coldest in this this round here that's coming in in the next uh, two or three shots? Yeah, it looks like it, especially through the Great Lakes and into the Northeast. Looks like it's Thursday and Friday. It is going to stay uh, a little on the cool side as we head through the weekend. Uh, but overall, I think there probably will be another wave of cooler air uh, later next week, but uh, temperatures will be modifying a little bit uh, as we get into next week. And, and this cool air has not been all bad news uh, in parts of the Northeast, especially this uh, did bring some rain and much mm. needed rain yes. to uh, parts of Southern New England yes. and parts of Pennsylvania as well. I really enjoyed that. Uh, what was the rainy <laughs> day? Was it, see, I've lost track of days. Tuesday was it the was rainy Tuesday, day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, have we had one of those? When was the last rainy day we've had in central Pennsylvania or, or anywhere it seems in the Eastern seaboard of late? I was looking back at, at my rain gauge from the summer. I, I hadn't recorded over an inch of rain in one day uh, yeah. since April, I think. It yeah. was, uh, and that's what we got on Tuesday. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, seasonably cold air, not anything too extreme yeah. here. Um, and, and then, so obviously we have this dip in the jet stream, this real big trough in the east, bringing this chilly air, but that has mean a lot of ridging in the west. And here we go again with record heat out west. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the devastating uh, wildfire situation had taken a bit of a pause, but Brian ends up uh, is, is one of our people that really uh, is an expert and looks at this and follows this. So where are we at now? in the wildfire situation with this new round of excessive and record heat uh, are we building again to some devastating wildfires rebuilding again here in the next week or so we're seeing the the certainly the fire situation has gone downhill this week because of the uh, heat in California. hasn't been a, as much wind as what we saw in some of the uh, some of the issues that we had earlier in the season when things really started to explode. But the heat just kind of causes the fire season to linger, and of course we're just kind of getting into the peak season anyway in California. Things are winding down a bit in the Northwest where. Uh, 
there was some rain uh, earlier in the week and uh, late last week as well. And naturally, it's getting cooler this time of year in the Northwest. But just in the last few days, we've been setting uh, setting some records and it's been uh, certainly very hot from San Francisco all the way down to San Diego. So we're getting those offshore winds, bringing the heat all the way to the coast. That will ease as we get into the weekend. We'll start to see temperatures uh, fall at the coast. And even in uh, some of the inland areas where we've been seeing triple digit heat, those temperatures will be coming down as well as we get into the... Uh, later into the weekend and into early next week. I will say there is not really any rain coming into the West until late next week. Right. Uh, but at least if we bring the uh, heat down a little bit, that uh, the fire danger isn't quite as high. It's still very dry, but uh, not quite as high. And you don't see the spread without the wind. But it does look like there's a good pattern change for this whole situation towards the end of that following week into the following weekend where it looks like the flow turns more southeasterly, it's wetter, it's cooler. So instead of being trough in the east, ridge in the west, where you start to almost set up where there's a ridge in the middle and there's a little bit of troughiness on the western side of the country, that if that, that happens, that'll help the situation too, right? Yeah, it certainly will. Uh, certainly the Pacific Northwest is going to get into a wetter, wetter weather pattern at, uh, late next week. Uh, there is kind of an interesting wild card, Hurricane Marie, which is in the eastern Pacific. Some of the modeling is trying to pull some of that moisture up into northern California uh, late next week. That's a, a very rare that that happens, but especially that far north. So that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. It's kind of the wild card in the in the game late next week, because again, it's going to probably turn stormy in the northwest no matter what. Uh, but can we get some rain farther south, which is where uh, the core of the fires are? So let's uh, switch over to the opposite uh, basin and, and talk about the Atlantic Basin. It's been a season of surges in activity. We've been in mm-hmm. a little bit of a lull now, uh, but is there signs that there's a, another surge coming where we could see some named storms here as we get to the middle of October? Looks like we have at least one in the short term uh, coming. Uh, there's a, a, a wave in the uh, in the Caribbean that uh, is, uh, is going to be moving off toward the uh, west-northwest. That looks likely to develop as we head into the uh, weekend and into early next week. Now, at this point, it, the th- overall threat to the U.S. seems pretty low from that, uh, simply because there's going to be uh, all this cold air that's coming into the east uh, is going to set up kind of a front pretty far to the south in the U.S. And what that will do is kind of force the whatever forms uh, in the Caribbean, more toward the Yucatan Peninsula and more toward Mexico. And areas in the Western Gulf do need to keep an eye on this just in case. Uh, What it may do also is uh, help throw some moisture toward uh, Florida, interact with that front. That front could pull some moisture into Florida and lead to some more numerous showers and thunderstorms over the weekend. Um, So that is also something we'll have to watch for the U.S. But at this point, major impacts for the U.S. seem unlikely. All right, Brian, uh, I appreciate uh, your time here today. I appreciate your time all week waking up on the opposite side of the clock that you normally do so we'll get back to some normalcy for you next week uh, correct and all right brian thompson here with everything under the sun and our accuweather radio stations across the country so friends that'll do it for episode number two of our fall series make sure that you're keeping up to date on the latest forecast on your accuweather app AccuWeather.com and with our AccuWeather Network and all our great media partners. Special thanks again to all of those who are behind the scenes from AccuWeather and uh, help you get uh, prepared for your busy lives. And we do that every day at AccuWeather.com. Thanks to our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, Brian Thompson and Dr. Joel Myers. Coming up next week, Paul Pastelock will be with us. Yes, didn't we just do the fall forecast? Well, friends, the winter forecast just came out this 
past week, and Paul will be by to give us a preview of how the winter season looks in terms of the uh, amount of snow and the cold possibly here as we go into the winter season. Paul Passlock on deck next week in our third episode of our fall series. For all of us with AccuWeather.com, have a great day. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks for listening to Everything Under the Sun. 